You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. The world is filled with many questions, such as, did giants exist? What is junk DNA? Does it mean that you're trash? Do you ever wonder if aliens have underwater bases in our oceans, and that's why there are so many UFO sightings off the coasts of islands all over the world? How serious even is climate change, and when should we start building our rafts? Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Bruna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore the answers to these questions and many, many more in our new podcast, Mystery Mystery of Everything, Everything, available everywhere you get your podcasts. Probably all began when old man Bell started seeing an odd-looking animal on his farm. Something half rabbit, half dog. Queer-looking creature. And then, late one night, the crashes began. Noises rattled across the house. And a voice from the darkness told the family terrible things. The Legend of the Bell Witch, next on Monster Talk. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland, it's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm your host, Blake Smith, and together with Ben Radford and Dr. Karen Stolzno, we dig into monster stories to find out what truths we can and what facts there are. Today we discuss the Bell Witch Haunting, a strange story from the 1800s in Tennessee, which includes an amazing array of paranormal events and some famous people, including Andrew Jackson. Before we go on with that, I want to take a quick moment to tell you about an important project that's going on right now. I'm recording this intro on January 22nd. It's the birthday of quack cancer treatment guru Stanislaw Brzezinski. Brzezinski's expensive and ineffective treatments deplete the fiscal and emotional resources of desperate cancer patients. A group of concerned skeptics are trying to raise awareness of this and support effective cancer research at the same time. Please take a moment and go to crowdrise.com forward slash fight childhood cancer. I'll put a link in the show notes as well. This fundraiser is part of a joint effort of many people in the skeptics community and is a worthy cause. Thank you. Today's Monster Talk interview comes from October and has been delayed due to a series of ridiculous technical issues, but here it is and I hope you enjoy it. 
the Bell Witch. Monster Dog. You're a little uh, faint. Am I? Okay. There you. That sounds better. I don't know if you leaned in or whatever. Oh, I, I just laid in. That's exactly what I said. <laughs> It's high tech stuff. Very, very. <laughs> Um, so that, all that uh, all that experience in book learning, just lean in. <laughs> exactly as as outlined in uh, podcasting for dummies, the book upon which this entire show is based. <laughs> I didn't even read that. <laughs> How was Psychon? I feel like I'm just wrapping up because the uh, the there was like a, a real world mystery of why is water shooting out the back of my house? Uh, right, and, some yeah. more pressing and urgent uh, things to attend to. Yeah, this is how the plumber's here finishing that up. Uh, so that mystery turned out to be broken water pipe was the solution. Mm. Oh, you came home to that, or yeah, 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 that was great. Wow. It, it was nice. I, I thought. Was it Ben? How was your? Did you have a good time? Uh, the conference, yeah, yeah, it was busy, busy, busy. But you know, I gave a t- um, talk on mass hysterias, and then I was uh, did a investigations thing with uh, Jim and Joe. That's Jim Underdown and uh, Joe Nickel. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So did you um, talk, Blake? No, I didn't talk. I was there for free because of winning the costume contest the year before, where oh. I went. I went as uh, Occam Shaving Cream. I Still very clever. Yeah. It was funny. Uh, I thought, well, my gosh, we're really close to the Bell Witch uh, historical site. I thought, would it be silly to come this far and not ride out there and at least take a look around? Um, and so is that to Nashville? Uh, it's about. It's probably like thirty-five miles and fifty minutes because it's a bunch of country roads. But uh, I, I looked around for Joe to see if I could find him uh, since he was there, and, and we couldn't. All right, I couldn't find him, and and then uh, Ben and I headed out, and we stopped at the uh, state road sign marker for the uh, Bell Witch, and then all of a sudden this car whips across and parks in front of us, and it's Joe Nickel and, and Von Reese, <laughs> having just left the site. So some kind uh, of synchronicity. Uh, well, you know, it's not really what you'd call a co- coincidence. I mean, I guess they, I mean, or is it? I don't know. It, it, <laughs> it seems like every time you know Joe makes a point. Uh, when he travels to try to go see these kind of sites, and I think Ben and well, I don't we all exactly right. Every, everybody's so inclined. Uh, so I, I, you know, it's it's there's um, as I'm sure we'll talk about. There's not a lot to the story from a, a historical perspective, but the site does exist where the story takes place. So it was interesting. Um, yeah, I saw the the photograph on Facebook with Ben. Very nice. And why wasn't there one of you, Blake? I, I never got it uploaded. Uh, I got uh. a little, little distracted by the whole um, uh, water thing. Uh, I'd gotten a call saying that there was a problem with the water at the home coming out of the back uh-huh. of the house. And it was, I was just anxious to get back and find out what was going on. So Maybe it was because you visited the site. I, yeah, that's so, yeah, my wife did mention that there were some mysterious voices um, and uh, the house had, had banging noise. No, she didn't. <laughs> and you were gone? <laughs> yeah, apparently, that not only is it it's not unusual to have uh, uh, water pipe breaks, you know, in our neighborhood. Apparently, we're sure. the, the four, just the plumber I'm working with, we're the fourth one he's had to fix in our neighborhood. So, that's, needed the taps guys out there. Yes. <laughs> I, I don't have a ghost, but I do have a plumbing problem. So. Yeah. <laughs> they qualified for that much. So, so we, we, I thought this would be fun. I had my truck. Uh, ben and I hopped in and drove out there. 
Um, and it was a little. I don't want to. I don't want to dis disparage the place, but like was, the Lincoln cabin, it was a little sketchy. I mean, it's like a little dicey, the first, a little dicey. The, the, the first thing you see when you get out there is this like a tow behind trailer, uh, and there's a sign above it. This is psychic readings. Um, and there's a guy who does psychic readings and I don't think this was my imagination. He looked at me and Ben and then went back inside his trailer and closed the door. Uh, maybe he was psychic. <laughs> yeah, maybe he was. <laughs> he could sense the negativity. I don't know what happened there. And then, uh, we told him we were in kind of a hurry, which is totally true. Cause Ben had a talk to get to, uh, and the way the cabin is set up, uh, first of all, it's not the original cabin. It is I was a, going to ask about yeah, that. It's a replica cabin, and it looks really nice. Um, uh, you know, my family, my dad, part of what he does is build log cabins and restore them. So I, I appreciated some of the craftsmanship for the uh, the way it was put together. But it, it wasn't entirely authentic. Um, it looked like the oak logs were, you know, properly chinked and everything, but the floors were, you know, kind of modern pressure treated uh, wood floors. And yeah, it was, it was sort of a Disneyfied version of, you know, if, Ooh, if, if, yeah, if, well if said. you only kind of knew how <laughs> roughly what it, what it was like, then you could pull it off. But, you know, yeah. Uh, but, and then they had you know, no, no animatronics or anything, but they had the pre recorded audio that they played in various rooms of the cabin to tell you the story. And so as you kind of move through the different rooms, you stop, sit down and listen to this, uh, uh, audio. And, and it was, you know, I thought that was nicely done. In fact, if, if I had stayed, if I hadn't, if I had to rush home, the, uh, the, the, the in the evening they have candlelit tours, which would probably be genuinely creepy to hear that, uh, really well-produced audio and sitting in a dark cabin with the wind blowing outside. The weather was perfect for it. It was mm-hmm. overcast and windy. Uh, yeah, it was a good place for a ghost story. Part of it began much like a traditional, uh, I'd say a witch story more than a, a, a ghost story. Right. Because so the senior bell was out on his property and he sees this mysterious animal. It looks like it's part rabbit and part dog. And while that's kind of creepy, I think, in one sense, it's also uh, very consistent with the kind of things that happen in European witch stories. People would see a mysterious animal. Usually it was something like a hare, and a hare does look something like an a, a oversized rabbit. Uh, and, and then you find that you can't kill it. You shoot at it, you try to kill it, and you can't kill it. And that's one of the first signs that you're having witch problems. You <laughs> that you're a bad he, shot, right? Yeah, well, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so did he attempt to kill this creature? Um, I don't know. I have. Uh, I, that I was in one version that I. The best part of the, part of the problem. There's the book, and then there's lots of different folklore about it. And I, I've read stories where they found a dead animal, and I've read stories where he saw a live animal. Uh, but that seems to be a consistent part of the story. The problem is, uh, let's just. I don't want to. Gosh, I hate to just jump to the conclusion, but um, <laughs> there just doesn't seem to be a lot of facts to back up the story. The story is very elaborate. But the whole story seems to come from um, uh, a, a book about the acts or the activities there that took place decades later. Like, was it 60 years later? So Yeah, it was like 60, 75 years later. Um, I have the, the book in front of me, the, the, uh, the Ingham, uh, Ingham version of the book. And it, I think it's worth uh, just uh, reading the first uh, few sentences because it, it's the preface. And it really sort of sets the stage for, for the whole thing. All right, the preface from the book. It says, 
It is not the purpose of the writer to present a romance for the entertainment of lovers of fiction, nor to establish a theory to please the fancy of adherence to so-called theosophy, but simply to record evidence of historical fact sustained by a powerful array of incontrovertible evidence as it comes to hand, testifying to the most wonderful phenomena the world has any account of, a visitation known as the Bell Witch, believed at the time by many to have been of supernatural origin, which appeared in Robertson County, Tennessee some 75 years ago, inflicting unendurable suffering on John Bell, the head of the family, and was said to have ended his life, and which also awakened a sensation that has lived through a generation. So that's that just struck me when I was reading the the preface to it because it you know it's the the very first line is saying look this is a true story uh, <laughs> it was sustained by a quote powerful array of incontrovertible evidence um, <laughs> end quote so I'm like wow this is I I would love to see a powerful array of <laughs> incontrovertible evidence um, and then of course the 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 story goes on but um, it's it's, it's so- just a it's a very telling preface. So there, there weren't any contemporary accounts? No, not contemporary, but inside the story, um, it has the, there's a lot of letters from people who attest to the veracity of what has been told. Um, but these are two, the problem is, and there's also a, a supposedly a, di- a diary from uh, the sun, and, but it, it's it doesn't matter because none of the original source material, including the diary, exists. Right. I mean, that's that's exactly right. I mean, the the you know, it's it's a typical you know friend of a friend story. I mean, it's, it's pure folklore through and through. You have you have this guy uh, Martin Ingram who is who is sort of retelling what he heard from what he read about a handwritten diary by Richard Bell, who was one of John Bell's sons. Um, you know, from 60, 75 years earlier. Uh, and then, of course, as Blake noted, there were different incarnations of the story uh, still. So, again, I've, I've read probably um, at least a dozen different versions, and I'm sure there's many more. So it's, it's interesting how, you know, e- even different writers put their own little spins on it. And, and because the story is so old, dating back at least to the, you know, to the 1800s, obviously, because that's when the, the book first came out. Um, you've had you know well over a century uh, to uh, to mangle the <laughs> mangle the story and add details and do all those fun things that uh, that happens to folklore. Mm. And so, with these letters, were they from eyewitnesses or family members or friends? Right, they, they they were from people who had uh, they were eyewitnesses or people who had heard firsthand the stories of the events. Right. Um, but we don't have those letters either. I mean, they only exist inside this book. So, I, Ben, I read your, your piece for a Skeptical Inquirer, and um, so, and I'd also listened to Brian Dunning's uh, episode that he did of uh, Skeptoid talking about this. And of course, one of the you know one of the big things is that inside the work um, of the Bell Witch book, it talks about um, a, a like authenticating material that would have been contemporaneous, but that doesn't exist. Like, for example, they say that uh, Andrew Jackson came, but um, right, but his travels are actually well documented. He wasn't in the area at the time, right? Uh, and uh, as Dunning points out, I think very nicely that the the, um, the election of Andrew Jackson to president was <laughs> really contentious. Uh, people were really uh, looking for anything. Uh, to sling mud at the other ca- guy, right? So both candidates were being really 
uh, awful. Um, if they could have said that uh, Andrew Jackson had been bested by a ghost, I, I think that would have happened. Uh, you know. Yeah, in fact, the, the, the Andrew Jackson story is, is actually one of the more interesting parts of it. It's, it's not just sort of mentioned briefly. It's given uh, quite a few pages to it uh, um, in some detail. And you know, everything from direct quotes from, you know, from, from Jackson, you know, addressing the ghost and the ghost addressing him back. Um, it's, it's it's rather detailed and, and melodramatic. Um, oh, it's very exciting. I mean, he, he pulls up in his wagon, and all of a sudden the wagon won't go any further, and the, the mules are straining at it, and finally a voice comes out of thin air and tells him he may proceed. You know, <laughs> and then suddenly he can he can go stay at the cabin and he has a horrible night there with, you know, banging and clatter and noises and leaves the next day saying he'd rather face the British than face the ghost. Oh, right. Nice. Right. So uh, it, well, this it, is, it's exciting. This <laughs> is something I've come across in a couple of other stories as well um, with the Winchester Mystery House in San Jose. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was owned by the, the Winchester family. Apparently, uh, Teddy Roosevelt had paid a visit and was turned away by Sarah Winchester, and I think one of their uh, rifles had been named after him. So I've just come across a couple of stories here and there where there's a, a president or a future president involved, and I guess that's just to add credibility to the story. Yeah, that, that's interesting. I, I, uh, I'd forgotten about that element of the, the, the Winchester house, but I think you're exactly right. I mean, it's, you know, what, <laughs> what more credible eyewitness can you ask for than, than that? I mean, to this day, UFO proponents still harp on oh, yeah. Carter's, uh, President Carter's, uh, you know, alleged sighting of a UFO back in 70-something. So, yeah, I mean, go, you know, aim high, right? <laughs> it is a, a haunted hotel in... Um Santa Cruz called the the Brookdale Lodge uh, and apparently I think Herbert Hoover visited there uh, and saw a ghost as well and uh, he actually did visit he was a guest at the hotel but um, uh, I don't think there are any there's any evidence that he saw a ghost or or made any claims about that I think again it's just trying to build some kind of credibility to the stories mm. yeah I think uh, having somebody uh, reputable be involved does help but I think it uh, you know, casually, I, I think it'd be nicer if we had their firsthand accounts, which uh, in these cases we don't because I don't think they exist. But um, what I thought was interesting about the Bell Witch case is it starts out and it sounds like a classic haunting or a poltergeist attack, much more than a witch attack once it gets going. There's banging on the walls, um, people are being poked and prodded, dishes are flying around and breaking. Um, so even as uh, you know, well, I don't know a lot about uh, pre nineteen hundred poltergeist attacks. Um, this sounds much more like a poltergeist attack in the way it's written. So, well, this was um, uh, sort of around the time or just after the witch crazes in Europe, wasn't it? No, this is eighteen. Well, you mean that it allegedly took place? Right? You mean so? <laughs> so there's yeah. a, the events took right. place in the very very early eighteen hundreds. But then the book's actually written in the 1894. I mean, when the the alleged events took place, that would have been around the time of the the end of the witch craze. So I'm wondering if witch was an an interpretation 
of the phenomena at that time. That's a, that's actually interesting. In the book, um, they they use a variety of terms. At one point, it's referred to as a goblin and a gnome and a gremlin and a witch <laughs> and a ghost. Um, it's, it's there's I, I counted about a half Anything a dozen. You to speak. Yeah, pretty much whatever you want. I mean, and which of course it helps uh, for for the reader in terms of uh, verisimilitude because that way. You know, if, if if whatever Ingram is telling you, if if it doesn't fit your conception of a witch or a ghost, well, if you think it, <laughs> if you believe in goblins or gremlins or fairies or whatever the hell you want, you can sort of say, well, okay, w- because it's it's given a variety of possible labels, uh, that sort of gives you a bunch of different outs if you don't think that it really fits the characteristics of any one of them. Yeah. Let me ask. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say it's kind of reminds me of um, Jeff the talking mongoose a bit it too. It does, this yes. cryptid poltergeist. Yes. Uh, that sort of changes in the way that people perceive it. And it's interesting because, uh, you know, with Jeff the talking mongoose, we know that whether that was a real animal or not, or a real, uh, you know, a real, it, it really took place. In other words, even though it, it was almost certainly a hoax, the people really did write down contemporaneous records from multiple sources that they went there and heard strange things, right? Oh, it, yeah, there were journalists who yeah. went there, and uh, they even sent evidence to the British Zoological Society. So, yeah, it's yeah. Not, not an urban legend as such. Right, right. And in this case, it, it appears to have sprung, you know, fully formed from Ingram's imagination, Um because there doesn't seem to be, or at least there's no written record of these events that predates his book, which is a telling uh, clue. Uh, yeah, I, that's that's one thing that struck me because I I actually read the the book on the plane on the plane back, and I in fact I really recommend that you know just as just as part of a course of you know when when possible consulting the original source. Mm-hmm. If people are really interested in in you know in, in getting into the story, you know. You're much better off reading the original source because we actually have it here rather than, you know, any of the different variations. It's called Authenticated History of the Bell Witch and Other Stories of the World's Greatest Unexplained Phenomena by M.V. Uh, Ingram. Um, and and that's exactly right. I mean, as I was reading the book, I was uh, taking notes on the plane and writing in the margins and, and repeatedly it refers to uh, all these experts that came from far and wide, the committees and, you know, uh, you know, Andrew Andrew Jackson, just everybody, and there's, you know, there's dozens and dozens, if not thousands, of people who were supposed to have uh, been witness to this, either firsthand or secondhand, or heard about it over else. And where are they? I mean, if if this really is a true story, you would think that you know, that this is you know well known throughout the county. It says, uh, and it, it lists all these people that came. De- detectives came, um, and yet there seems to be. No written evidence written by anybody else anywhere that that mentions this. Yeah, in fact, the uh, if you're interested, the you can get the Kindle edition of this for ninety nine cents. Um, so it's and it's really well done. Um, plus, you can search it. So <laughs> I I find that extremely helpful when I'm doing research. Is you can actually do a word search to find particular things within the text. Um, Naughty words. Well, <laughs> well, you could look for the word cave and find out why they've got a cave on the property that's inside a barn and costs $12 to visit. Yeah, what is the, the connection of the cave? Um, apparently, uh, there's a story that Betsy Bell and some friends went into the cave. Um, and while they were in the cave, a boy got stuck in a hole. 
and the uh, the witch pulled the boy out of the hole and then lectured the kids on the dangers of going into a cave. Oh, so it was a good witch. Thing. No, well, see, this, here's the thing. Intermittently in the story, the witch does good things and friendly things and then really bad things. And by the end, murder. <laughs> no, it, it's, it's absolutely it's like remarkable. It's like yeah, it, it's just you know it, I was reading the story and uh, you know the the story has and I use the word story advisedly, it has long passages of long conversations, very pleasant conversations. Uh, uh, the the bell witch gives the family gifts. Um, they they talk about matters of the day. They hang out. They chat. You know they, um, and then in other parts, you know the the bell witch is making uh, making one of the daughters vomit up uh, pins and needles. Um, and it's, it's just remarkable, you know, the, the, if, if this really is a true story, um, then, then it, it's amazing how, uh, how bad the ghost communication has gotten over the past 150 years. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, th- I mean, there, there, there's, you know, again, pages and pages of direct quotes of, you know, clear language, you know, creative language, you know, all these sort of things. And these days we're reduced to EVPs. Uh, it's, it's like, wow. Yeah, good points. Yeah. So it creates this interesting uh, distinction, uh, especially if you're right about your hypothesis, Ben. Let's, we'll talk about that in just a second. You've got authentic ghost stories where people really believe they've seen a ghost. Uh, and then you've got ghost legends, word of mouth stories um, that are ostensibly based on true things but are really part of folklore where – the original uh, person is never identified, or if they are identified, they never really took place uh, the way it's claimed, or it's a friend of a friend. And then you've got fiction, which is uh, given credibility by its use of real people. And, and which one of those three do you think this has been? Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, Consciousness, Philosophy, UFOs, Ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost, and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose, it kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing, and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audiobook. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand yeah. and probably won't understand. That's our yeah. whole show. <laughs> <laughs> so join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. Everybody, shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Wheel! 
Cat and Jethro, Box of Oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. Uh, I think this is fiction that's given credibility by the use of real people. Um, and again, this is a this is certainly not unknown today. I mean, you know, you can't you can't you know go in a, in a video store, rent a movie without you know some horror film routinely being claimed as being based on a true story or based on true events. Uh, and of course, there's been a couple films made adapted from this. Um, but this is nothing new. Uh, you know, sometimes I I talk to people who are like, oh well, you know, this was written you know 100 years ago. It must be true. <laughs> Like oh yeah, because nobody, you know, no, nobody, nobody uh, told falsehoods, or there was no sorts of yell journalism or newspaper hoaxes, you know, hundred, two hundred years ago. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, if you can, if if you can, uh, if you can use real places and real people, um, then that adds to to the the realism. And in fact, this actually reminded me quite a bit of my investigation into the White Witch of Rose Hall in Montego Bay, Jamaica, uh, which I, I wrote about in a couple of places, including one of my books, where um, you know it was there was this whole elaborate ghost story based on ostensibly real people. They're, you know, real, real names uh, that happened a long, long time ago. Um, but when you look more closely at it, there's just some, simply nothing to it. So in modern times, the, um, the people who did the Blair Witch Project actually based the idea of the Blair Witch Project after having heard the Bell Witch story. Um, and in the way they presented the Blair Witch Project was as though it were a real event. It was a found footage. Right. Uh, and part of the story, although you could find the answer pretty readily on the internet, that was at a time when people still really didn't understand, you know, there wasn't, it wasn't as easy apparently because lots of people didn't know if it was real or not and thought it was real. And in fact, the filmmakers still get contacted by, this disturbs me, police departments wondering what happened with the case. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I, I saw a midnight screening of it uh, in Sydney uh, at the time when it came out, and it was presented in Australia at its release as being a true story. And so there was a lot of hype and media hmm. about that. That was the way that everyone saw it there, at least to begin with. So this, this, your contention, Ben, is that this book is doing the same sort of thing. It's a fiction, but it's being presented as real to give it greater... Um, I want to say verisimilitude, but I don't want to say it incorrectly because it's one of those words I read but don't say. <laughs> that sounds right. No, I, like paradigm. I, yeah, the, the paradigms and all those. Uh, exactly. No, I it's think a, that, there's a vast chasm between the words I know and the words I know how to say. The, words, <laughs> the ones he knows. No, I, I think that's exactly right. Um, and it, the other thing to, to, to keep in mind is that is that unless you're writing some sort of uh, you know, fantasy or science fiction that's really out there, you you are sort of constrained to using uh, real places. Um, the most you know elaborate fiction novels of you know serial killers and monsters and whatever else are set you know here and now. Um, War of the Worlds, uh, the 1938 broadcast was was supposed to be going on you know in in uh, on the East Coast in New York and New Jersey. Um, was of course adapted by by Wells, 
Um, but but again, so you know, in a way, it's it shouldn't surprise anybody that uh, writers use <laughs> writers use what's around them, and uh, they use real places, and sometimes they use real figures. Uh, that has nothing to do with whether or not the the the, st- the story is actually true or not. I know they say write what you know, which is why all my stories are about fast food and masturbation. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> that won't make uh, it. Mix you do a plug for your, your story. Yeah. What's that? You do a plug for your story now, which I still haven't read. I'm looking. Well, I, to I plugged it in the last episode, so okay. we're we're cool. Although, if you want to read an incredibly good story, <laughs> look it's at Halloween. Go go find weird tales and read my story. <laughs> What's the title of it? I believe it's called "The Thing in the Cellar." Ooh. It was originally called "The Horror in the Cellar," but when they did a title search, they found that that was already used. So, and, or they thought you meant "horror in the cellar," right? Right. It was uh, autobiographical. It was about my experience raising money for my family by performing terrible, terrible acts uh, in the basement for money. Frankly, I'm I'm more interested in that one. So, if you could write that one, that'd be great. Yeah, it's good stuff. The Kindle edition will be out later today. <laughs> Myth days, yeah. <laughs> Well, I have to say that that when I was reading, it, there's there's one particular phrase uh, in the in the whole book that I, I really enjoyed, and it was it occurs on page two hundred one when they ask Uncle Zeke. Um, he says uh, it, it's it's great. I mean, it could have been ripped from from you know Ghost Hunters. He says it's because it's a native uh, Native American burial ground. Um, oh, that yeah. explains everything. Right. Well, there you go. Well, you know, we got an Indian burial ground. What else could it be? Uh, and it was just funny to see something written so long ago that that again, it, the, in many ways, the, the whole ghost hunting uh, lore and vernacular and all that really hasn't changed much. No. Well, it was interesting when I was when I was researching the the uh, Skeptical Inquiry article for SI. Um, one of the first things I did, which apparently no one else did, uh, in terms of you know certainly the ghost writers, is I, I went back and looked at the the folklore on it. In fact, there's there's quite a bit of folklore, and the the Bell Witch stories identified as legend as far back as the 1930s. Um, yeah, and was discussed in, for example, the Journal of American Folklore in 1934. Uh, I found a, a couple references there, and I looked that up. So now know, it's true, <laughs> right? Well, there you go. Then, right? It's sort of a, sort of whitewash into the truth, but but uh, but yeah. I mean, so you know, it, it's not as if folklorists are unaware of this. In fact, folklorists have been writing about it for you know eighty or more years. Um, it's just that the ghost hunters and ghost investigators uh, either haven't thought to look at the folklore research or just ignored it because uh, they're just so convinced that it's a true story and not folklore. Well, that, or you, the, go ahead. Or have you gone onto YouTube and seen seen some of the very convincing evidence that these people have come up with? <laughs> I haven't. Can you summarize for us? Uh, orbs. <laughs> oh, there you go. Wow. And strange, inexplicable lights and uh, voices, EVPs, of course. You know the drill. The usual stuff the usual from today. Stuff. Not good enough. I, You know, this folklore thing is funny because I there's a um, – an old house uh, north of where I live uh, called uh, Barnsley Gardens. It was the Barnsley family built this huge European-style estate uh, and like had built this elaborate European garden and brought in trees and fancy plants, fancy imported things. Anyway, beautiful place, um, but it went into ruin and uh, became this sort of desolate, um, you know, 
ruin with this what looks almost like a castle on the grounds. And ghost stories uh, abounded. And a lot of them centered around um, this terrible feud uh, some of the family members had over a particular girl. And there was a story about a poison duel. And uh, anyway, beautiful story. <laughs> but <laughs> I had the occasion to read the actual history of the site in the from uh, the history of Bartow County. And like the stories I'd heard my whole life, these these sort of romantic gothic love stories were just completely fabricated. Mm-hmm. Um, and the real story is well, very interesting, but nothing to do with the ghost stories. Um, so I, that, that kind of thing happens. And I think these stories, as with all folklore, take on a life of their own and continue to evolve. So, you know, if, if I, there may still be uh, versions of that story told, you know, on the tours of the grounds because I know they still talk about ghosts up there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I imagine over the years, as people pass the stories along and different, you know, people come and go, and th- those stories are going to continue to change. So, um, yeah, I think which stories sound like a, a choose your own adventure. There are just so many variations. <laughs> there are a lot of variations. If you believe story. in orbs, go to page five. If you right. don't believe orbs, <laughs> go to page thirteen. <laughs> If you think this is bullshit, go to the end of the book. If you believe it, buy another book. So there's um, um, a movie, at least one movie uh, that there's actually three, I think, but uh, one movie that uh, was got mainstream release, and um, that's an American haunting that has uh, uh, Donald Sutherland and um, what Sissy Spacek, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and must what, be true. <laughs> well, I don't. <laughs> that, that story changes a lot of things, um, which. Uh, annoyed some, you know, ghost, uh, you know, paranormal people or people who like the paranormal. They like some authenticity in their story, but apparently the source materials authenticity in their folklore, right? Well, <laughs> you know, I, I guess what I was going to say about it is the real claim to fame for that film, in, in my mind, is that it's the uh, second film by the guy who directed the uh, Dungeons and Dragons movie. Uh, that's uh, which was a huge disappointment. Although it's the only film I remember that has a, a beholder in it. Um, and so <laughs> that had Jeremy Irons in it, didn't it? <sighs> Did it ever, man? Yeah, I if, like if Jeremy you like, Irons. Come if on. you like to watch Jeremy Irons uh, chew up some scenery, man, that that is the film to watch. Uh, uh, you just he cranks it up to eleven in that movie. So, <laughs> but it's I, a piece of crap. But it's very engaging. It's very fun to watch. So engaging crap. Yeah. Yeah. So, but but that's the Dungeons and Dragons movie. Not, I haven't watched the American Haunting yet. Uh, I have it. I'd kind of like to watch it uh, this week since um, it seems very fresh in my mind. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think it's just kind of disappointing that um, what what is widely touted as being one of the most best documented ghost cases uh, in American history is only documented through fiction. That's just right. really, really sad. Well, I mean, to, to, to be to, expected. Well, I mean, yeah, as, as, you know, to, to my mind, the remarkable thing is just, you know, how often it's been written up as a true story. I mean, over and over and over again, um, ghost, you know, ghost, uh, ghost writers, <laughs> people who write about ghosts, um, you know, Brad Steiger, for example, and, and, you know, many others, they just repeat it and they just assume it's true. And there's, again, there's no attempt to investigate. It's all, it, it's all just laid out there as if, well, this is, this is the real deal. Um, let me let me. Uh, I have one particular section that I want to read from this book called uh, "The Haunting of America" uh, by William Burns and Joel Martin. 
Because again, it really it really crystallizes uh, their argument. It says, this is on page 145, it says, was young Betsy the poltergeist agent whose own telekinetic energy caused some of the horrific activity in her family's home? Some researchers, some researchers have theorized that Betsy, under emotional stress, may have acted out of some sort of subconscious resentment of her father that manifested itself in the form of psychic energy responsible for creating the poltergeist havoc. Skeptics blame Betsy, accusing her of fabricating the Bell Witch phenomena. However, no one has ever proved that, and Betsy never again spoke of her family's troubles. Now you just it, there's so many things wrong when you're. It's like there it's you to 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 see, to, to see skeptics blame Betsy, accusing her of fabricating fabricating the Bell Witch phenomena. It, you know, it's it's totally misses the point. It's like arguing whether or not you know Huckleberry Finn's father actually did beat him in the Mark Twain novel. Well. In the novel, yes, he beat him, but it's yeah. a fictional character. You're you can't take it out of the fictional context and ask ask these questions. It's it's just ridiculous. Yeah, it's a very modern theory about uh, how that occurred. Exactly. The poltergeist, but uh, it reminds me again. I'm making drawing lots of parallels, but uh, I think we've talked about the Gyra ghost before, haven't we? Briefly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the place it's about. Um, um, six hours north of Sydney, and uh, it was a poltergeist claim going back to the 1920s. And uh, yeah, I'm just drawing lots of parallels to that. And uh, again, it was a, a famous person had visited there. It was Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, um, who'd gone to investigate the site. And it turned out it was a friend of his. It wasn't actually him. But uh, again, you have the same same young girl who is experiencing all, all of this phenomena, and then she's discredited. Uh, in future, but but this is a true story, not insofar as that uh, it's it's a, a paranormal case, but insofar as that it actually occurred mm-hmm. uh, and that it is well documented. So that's where it, it differs. But yeah, I think uh, this might be a, just a very early uh, predecessor to all of these contemporary claims as well, and an explanation for a lot of uh, contemporary claims how they came about. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be interesting to know how many copies of this book got sold because um, I, I know that the story is well known in Tennessee, but there seemed to be kind of a resurgence of interest um, when this you know American Haunting film came out. Then everybody wanted to do a kind of a knockoff Bill Witch movie, right? And um, so I, I don't know. I, I, when Blair Witch came out as well, I think the two are feeding off each other for publicity. Oh, I think so, and also the. Um, you know that that excerpt Ben just read reminds me of that uh, most important thing. It's really easy to hear this case and go, "Oh, well, listen." You know, they had a teenage girl. Her name was Betsy. She was having trouble with a lover. There was a lot of stuff going on. You know, um, easily she could have been hoaxing this whole thing, and uh, th- this could have been uh, just a case of her acting out. And that's a great explanation. You know, except for the part where. You really need to check first to see if anything happened at all, right? right? You know, you have to take the null hypothesis. You know, so I'd say that's more of a scoffic tactic than a skeptic. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's essentially you know, you go back to Ray Hyman's categor- 
categorical imperative, you know, where before you try to explain something, make sure that it actually happened. Um, you know, before you start positing theories about what the ghost could have been, was it her psychic energies? Was it this? Was it that? Was it actually, you know, Native American burial grounds, as the old uh, consequential darkie said? Um, you know, what, what was this before you spend a lot of time and energy, you know, going to explanations? Uh, question your assumptions, question your premises and say, well, is, is this true? Is this real before you go any further? Oh, yeah, very first step. Yeah, there's a, right, inside the cave, there is uh, allegedly an Indian burial uh, ground. There's sort of a rectangular-shaped box that appears to have collapsed. And in the legend, apparently, um, I guess at one point, the witch claims she's the ghost of someone who died and the part of their skeleton or their tooth was under the house. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. There was this weird section where, or they spend like four or five pages. Like this witch is pissed off because she's missing a tooth. And I'm like, go find a dentist. I don't know. Leave me right. It's really yeah. odd. But, but again, I, I, I've, I've seen the picture of the Indian, uh, so-called Indian burial. Um, now my understanding was that the Cherokee who would have been the predominant, you know, tribal presence in that region, uh, buried, did ground burials and they did it usually like a day or two or like either like the day of or right after um, the uh, the death. Mm-hmm. In a box? Well, no, I don't know if they used a box or not. Um, you know, 18, you know, 19 would have been, you know, and then this would have predated that. So this would have been probably the late 1700s. I'm not really sure um, if they buried in coffins or if they just buried in the ground. But I doubt they used coffins just because their burial beliefs, as I understand them, were that um, they understood that the body goes back to nature mm-hmm. and that it makes sense to bury so that the you know body can feed the trees and the plants. and you know, being in a cloth or something. It's a very circle of life, right? You know, So <laughs> inside a cave, inside a stone box doesn't sound right. I actually reached out to Ken Fader, a friend of the show, uh, to ask him about this, I sent him uh, some documentation about the claims, and uh, hopefully he'll get back. I don't know if he'll get back in time for this uh, recording, but if not, I'll update the Facebook page or the show notes. Um, it's, it's my understanding, just FYI, that he doesn't respond to emails unless you use the F word, so you might want to uh, resend that. Mm, oh, don't worry, I did, yeah. <laughs> and by which I mean <laughs> Yeah, yeah so I said, hey, Ken, I got a question if you have a minute. Uh, <laughs> not, not too much of that, folks. I hate putting all those beeps in. So, <laughs> you love it. At least I got a beep this time. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, my gut feeling, which is what most skeptics go by, right, is that this is probably not an Indian barrel, that there's some other purpose for that box besides being uh, the uh, location of dead Indians. Um, one thing I can't tell from the photo is how big the box is. Um, and I know that while we were talking with Joe Nickel, he said he had some uh, ideas about that box as well. So I, he may be writing something up. We'll see. My guess it was an animal that was buried by the family or someone else. Well, there was. I mean, there's nothing in the box. It just looks like it could be, uh, a, you know, a trough for an animal, or it could be another. It could be a number of things. I don't know what it really is. It could be an Indian dwarf. It could be an Indian dwarf. I like that explanation. Yeah. Thank you. It could be um, it could be a storage box for the cave troll that used to live there. Very um, it, it could be I, a feeding trough for chupacabra. Who knows? That's right. We don't know. We don't know this. We don't so know. yeah, <laughs> we don't know. Let's just admit that we don't know. Right. We start with saying we don't know. Right. 
Um, anyway, I, I think that's that's the the heart of this. So, what what can we learn from <laughs> from the Bell Witch? What what's a lesson for skeptics or for anybody who wants to uh, you know investigate uh, famous hauntings? I think to keep looking for prior sources to try and find an original source, and then to to question that and. Uh, to, to to not look at a lot of contemporary sources and um, but yeah to, to find the original one uh, as best you can and, and then to see if there's anything any truth to that any historical truth to that yeah yeah I, I would agree with that and also just uh, to you know look at these things in context I mean if you read if you read the book if you read you know Ingram's book about the Bell Witch it's clearly a, a novella I mean it's 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 <laughs> It's, it's one of the novellas. It's, it's, it's Steve Novella, <laughs> the long it? lost novella brother. Um, but no, it's it's obviously a, a novel. I mean, it's it, you know, it's it's got direct quoted dialogue. It's got drama. It's got being lost in the cave, which of course you know Mark Twain wrote about in Tom Sawyer. I mean, this is <laughs> it's got so many literary devices that that to 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 think or assume that this is somehow a, a you know a. a you know, uh, an accounting of documented historical fact is ridiculous. I mean, you just—I don't know how you can read the book unless, 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 of course, you know, you're unless you you're working backwards and you know for a fact that the Bell Witch case is true, and this is evidence for it. If you're reading, if you're working forward from the evidence to the conclusion, you're going to say, "Well, hold on here. This is you know, this is just patently absurd." It would be interesting to go back and see if there were any reviews, uh, contemporaneous reviews of his book uh, in in the in the in the air in the region. You know, you know, that would be interesting because I, I, that would be the kind of thing. Like, really, I, I never heard of this story, but it sounds fascinating. <laughs> you know, you would think that that would be well known if that that sort of legend was in your region. Um, but I, what we can't we can't document negative evidence very well <laughs> we can search for it and say we can't find it but it's really hard to say you know too much about the fact that it's not there right so so far no one's found betsy's uh you know any written allegations that betsy did anything no one's found the diary that william bell williams bell supposedly gave the author mm-hmm. um it, these um just there's nothing and the letters that were supposedly sent to him those don't seem to exist and it's also the stuff with with Jackson I mean yeah just yeah. simply there's, doesn't there's, exist there's, there's so much stuff that doesn't exist that that's enough to call it a fraud in my opinion but um oh yeah but with what does exist are the stories of witches and goblins those were all popular beliefs of the time as well and <laughs> yeah, seem to and, have been reinterpreted uh, for today true and he mentions that in the book that you know as he points out in the intro, you know, I'm not here to talk about theosophy uh, or spiritualism or whether or not ghosts are real. I'm just going to tell you these facts, right? <laughs> A lot so, easier. So he, 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 he acknowledges, you know, most people don't believe in ghosts, you know, especially not in the daytime, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Again, if you read, there's quite a bit of the Bible in there. There's you know, you know messages and uh, and and you know and we mentioned earlier about how uh, in some cases the Bell Witch uh, has this sort of um, this benign social control. This you know t- you know the teaching kids not to do bad things. Again, that that harkens back directly to like La Llorona, you know uh, the the evil witch that's you know telling kids to keep out of the ditches for their own safety or you know don't go in the lake because. Uh, 
you know, don't, don't go in the woods because boogeyman will get you or the Bigfoot or whatever else. So, again, these are, if you're looking at it from a folkloric perspective, uh, it's, it's, you know, all the elements are there. I mean, it's, it's, it's crystal clear. What's the clear. message here? <laughs> messages, <laughs> messages, messages uh, always do the right things. In fact, there, there's one section of the book where, um, where the bell witch actually punishes a lazy worker. There's a farmhand uh, there who's, uh, who's not quite doing things up to snuff, and the bell witch comes and gives, gives the bounder a good shaking. And from that day on, uh, boy, he worked harder than ever, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so frankly, we need more of them. Yeah. <laughs> As our moral guidance, which is, right? Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, um, well, now I feel like we're just here to pee on ghost stories, and that's not quite right. So, I mean, I love ghost stories. I just uh, I, I continue to have this problem where they're um, supposedly true. Uh, you know, that, that's the thing. You know, when people think that uh, you know, stories that are clearly made up or, or not clearly made up, but, but presented as true and are not true and the perpetrator knows they're not true. Mm-hmm. You know, is it entirely for fun? You know, now people are making a business on it. I mean, there's uh, quite literally a cottage industry of Bell Witch <laughs> support. Oh, yeah. T- t-shirts and cave tours and canoe tours and, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, there's there's... Lots of money to be made, and as you know, as Karen has pointed out before, the same thing with with Bigfoot. You know, you go into the Bigfoot country, and there's Bigfoot burgers and Bigfoot cafes and T-shirts and stuff. And so there's there's definitely an element of you know explaining it for tourism. Monster talk. Thanks for listening to another episode of Monster Talk. You heard myself, Blake Smith, and my co-hosts, Dr. Karen Stolzno and Benjamin Radford, discussing the historical paranormal case known as the Bell Witch. Monster Talk is produced with the help of Skeptic Magazine. If you like magazines, you should get one. The opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect those of Skeptic Magazine or the Skeptic Society. We have got some fantastic interviews lined up already for this year, so please stay tuned to Monster Talk in 2013. we got giant spiders and leaping strangers and so much more coming your way. Monster Talk theme music was by Pete Stealing Monkeys. that you can now subscribe to Skeptic Magazine digitally? Just grab our free Skeptic Magazine app, currently compatible with iOS, Android, PC, Mac, Kindle Fire, Kindle Fire HD, and BlackBerry Playbook. Head over to skeptic.com magazine app to find out more and download more of your favorite Skeptic content.